1: As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
0: Matthew, chapter 13, verses 40-42, through 42, New International Version. Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. Today, we are coming to the final topic of our study series we've called, But What About? Because a lot of time you hear questions like, But what about angels and demons? Or, what about heaven and hell? So far in our series, we have discussed the angels, demons, the angel of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit. Today. We're going to begin our discussion of, but what about heaven and hell? With today's show focusing on, but what about hell? I'm in the studio today with R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., why did you pick these topics to feature on this, but what about series?
2: Well, before we get started, I do want to say a word of greeting and thanks to all the Anchored by Truth listeners. Thank you for joining us here today. Well, I think that an astute listener,
0: which all our listeners
2: are. Agreed. Well, I think that our very astute listeners understand that here at Anchored by Truth, we focus on the attributes of the Bible and the Christian faith that often don't get as much coverage on some other programs. Now, we're not criticizing any of those other programs, because we fully understand that there's only so much that any program can cover in the limited amount of time that we have on the radio or to be producing a podcast. But our focus here at Anchored by Truth is on helping people develop a strong intellectual framework for understanding that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. And sometimes, in order to do that, means that we have to talk about some subjects that are more esoteric than the subjects that can be covered on other programs. Some of our listeners have questions about what you might call the supernatural dimensions of the Christian faith, or what some people might refer to as the unseen realm.
0: And the Bible is very clear that there is a very real but unseen realm Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, quote, "For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible." Unquote. The Christian faith is a faith that is anchored firmly in time and place, but it also recognizes that the created order is not limited to the things we can apprehend with our five senses.
2: Right. And because the unseen realm is, well, unseen, there's a lot of confusion and misinformation that circulates around it. And that's why we wanted to do this But What About series to focus attention of people on what the Bible actually says about many of the subjects that are part of the unseen realm. Subjects like angels or heaven and hell. Well, today we want to focus on probably what's the most unpleasant topic of the things that have to do with the unseen realm, and that is the topic of
0: hell. And I'm sure most of our listeners know that hell is the final destination for those who have rejected Christ as their Savior. The New Geneva Study Bible put it this way in one of their study notes, quote, The New Testament views hell as the final abode of those condemned to eternal punishment at the Last Judgment, unquote. Why do you think it says the New Testament in that comment and not the Bible?
2: Well, probably because the doctrine of hell is far more fully developed in the New Testament than it was in the Old. It's certainly not that a place of condemnation for unfaithful people was unknown during Old Testament times. It certainly was. For instance, Book of Job in chapter 24, verse 19, it says that, As drought and heat consume the melting snow, so Sheol steals those who have sinned.
0: Sheol is one of the three words that is commonly translated as hell in the Bible. The others are Gehenna and Hades. Sheol is from ancient Hebrew. The others are from Greek.
2: Yes. So the concept of an eternal division between the righteous and unrighteous was definitely present in the Old Testament. But most of the details that we have about hell come from the New Testament. And surprisingly enough, the biblical figure who talked the most about hell was Jesus. And it's from Jesus we get the clearest idea of the horrors of hell.
0: Like the images we get from our opening scripture, where Jesus likens hell to a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth are both expressions of sincere sorrow and regret. And since this quote is from Jesus himself, We know that it's accurate. In a way, it's not surprising that we learn the most about hell from Jesus because Jesus is the one who can save us from hell. So he knows what he is saving us from. It has been said that, quote, God saves us from himself, by himself, for himself, Right.
2: And that leads us to one of the first concepts that we want to ensure that people understand. You know, it's sometimes said that hell is the absence of God, whereas heaven is the presence of God. But strictly speaking, that's not true. While it is true that we will be eternally in God's presence in heaven, the distinction is that in heaven, we are going to be in the presence of God's goodness, of God's benevolence, of God's love. The people and the demons who are going to be in hell they're going to be in the presence of God's wrath rather than being in the presence of God's goodness.
0: Now, in our day and age, the concept of God's wrath is not a popular one. But whether it is popular or not, it is biblical. For example, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, quote, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Unquote. The Bible makes it very clear that as a perfectly holy God, God cannot allow godlessness and wickedness to go unpunished. Correct?
2: Correct. Now, we're well aware here at Anchored by Truth that the doctrine of hell and God's wrath has come in for a lot of criticism in our day and age. But just because it's come under criticism doesn't mean that that's not a doctrine that is clearly taught in the Bible. And, you know, we do people a disservice if we don't pass along the warnings about hell that Jesus gave His listeners during His public ministry.
0: Such is the warning Jesus gave in Matthew, chapter 25, verse 41, where Jesus warned His listeners about being kind to His followers. Jesus promised blessings to those who fed, clothed, or visited His people when they were in need. But Jesus also promised those who didn't assist his followers in need that they would be separated from him. Jesus said, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, unquote. Note that Jesus said that the eternal fire had been prepared for the devil and his fallen angels. Hell was established for the devil and his demons. But it's also where unrighteous people will end up.
2: Sadly, yes. But let's hasten to add that there is no need for anyone listening to go to hell. All anyone has to do is accept Jesus as their Savior, as their Comforter, their Advocate, whatever word you want to use, and they will be eternally safe the instant that they do so. And that is certainly one of the reasons that Jesus talked more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. Jesus came to earth to save people, not to condemn them. Jesus made that very clear in his conversation with Nicodemus. In John 3.16, Jesus said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him.
0: And the disciples clearly understood this message, because they continued to carry it after Jesus' resurrection and return to heaven. In 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 9, Peter wrote to his audience that, quote, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, Jesus' earnest desire, in fact the desire of every true Christian, is to see everyone come to a saving knowledge of Christ.
2: And you know, there would be no need for us to talk about hell at all if everyone would turn to Christ for salvation. But unfortunately, we know that there are many people who won't. And because of that, as such, it's incumbent on us to talk enough about hell so people will have a very clear idea of the eternity that awaits the unsaved. You know, warning people about their faith for not turning to Jesus is, in fact, an essential part of testifying about the good news about the gospel. You know, God has given very clear commands to his people that when he, as God, commands us to bring his word to others, that we are to bring that word, we are to do so, regardless of whether or not that word is a pleasing one or an unpleasant one. That's what God made very clear to Ezekiel in chapter 33 of the book of Ezekiel.
0: You're thinking of Ezekiel chapter 33 verses 8 and 9, where God speaks to Ezekiel and says, When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways, and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved.
2: Yes. You know, in that context, God was doing more than commanding Ezekiel to warn people about physical death if they did not turn from their wickedness. Ezekiel was well aware that even the righteous are going to suffer physical death. Ezekiel didn't need to be told to warn people that death was going to come to human beings. Ezekiel knew that. We all know that. We all know that physical death is a part of living in a fallen creation. No, God was telling Ezekiel to warn people about the permanent eternal death that comes to the wicked who will not turn from their wickedness even after they've been warned. And this is the same point that Jesus was making in Matthew chapter 25 verses 41 through 46 that we alluded to earlier. And he made the same point in Matthew chapter 5. You know, throughout his public ministry, Jesus warned people that the price of a failure to repent and turn to him for salvation was going to be eternal damnation. Now, notice that in Matthew, chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus expressly referred to the fire of hell as being an eternal fire.
0: So, that raises the question as to whether Jesus was speaking literally when he referred to eternal fire. Or whether he was speaking figuratively?
2: And that's a very reasonable question. Fire is certainly the most common motif that is used when hell is being described in the Bible. Jesus mentioned eternal fire in Matthew 25, 41. And in our opening scripture verses that we heard from Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talked about the wicked being cast into a
0: blazing furnace. And of course, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, we see hell identified as a lake of fire. In the New International Version, the verse says, quote, "...but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death."
2: Yes. And then, of course, there is the very well-known story of the rich man and the beggar named Lazarus that Jesus told about in Luke chapter 16.
0: In verses 23 and 24 of Luke 16, Jesus said that the rich man had been sent to Hades after he died. Then Jesus said, quote, In Hades, where the rich man was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire,
2: Right. Well, those are just a sampling of the biblical verses that associate hell with fire or extreme heat. But then there's kind of a puzzle. In a puzzling fashion, the Bible also routinely associates images of hell with darkness such as in Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, and in Jude, verses 6 and 7.
0: Jude, verses 6 and 7 say, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, those he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. That's the New International Version also.
2: Right. So you have these two different metaphors that are hard to reconcile. I mean, after all, fire produces light as well as heat. So it might be hard to see if hell is going to be a place of darkness, since it's also going to be a place where the fire is going to burn eternally. But we do need to note that the image of utter or deep darkness is also very commonly associated with descriptions of hell.
0: So how do you reconcile those seemingly conflicting ideas? How can hell be a place where there is an eternal flame that burns continuously, but also be a place of everlasting darkness?
2: Well, I think there are a couple of possibilities. First of all, these images of hell may be more symbolical and may not be literal in any sense. Now, if the verses are symbolical, I hope that doesn't provide any comfort to anyone. Because in Bible history, we always see that the reality is always more profound than the symbol that pointed towards it. For instance, in the Old Testament, lambs were used as the sacrificial animal for the Passover celebration. And as such, those lambs were a symbol of the coming Christ. But when Christ came, Christ did not sacrifice a lamb or an animal to produce the salvation for mankind. Christ sacrificed Himself. His own body on the cross. Well, as a result of doing that, the atonement, the relief that Christ produced, was immeasurably better than the relief that was produced by the symbol. The atonement that was produced by sacrificing a lamb was a temporary atonement. But Christ's sacrifice was permanent. The biblical reality is far more real than the symbol.
0: Well, given the images of hell that are presented in the Bible,
2: that's a terrifying thought. And it's intended to be a terrifying thought. So one possibility is that we shouldn't even try to make literal sense out of the images of fire, furnaces, or darkness. But there's another possibility that there is some degree of literal accuracy in these images. Although, again, the image itself will be less profound than the reality. For instance, the contemporary English version of the part of the verse that you read from Jude says... God chained the fallen angels with everlasting chains and is now keeping them in dark pits until the great day of judgment. So the contemporary English version doesn't say the fallen angels are kept in darkness per se, but in dark pits. Well, if you think about some of the really large pits that we may know about, think about a very large barbecue pit, Well, within that pit, there will be spots where there's going to be a very bright light because of the burning fire or coals, but in that very large pit, there are also going to be spots with quite a bit of darkness.
0: And of course, smoke is also a common element present even with fires and flames. So the fact that hell is described as, quote, firing lake of burning sulfur, unquote, or a, quote, blazing furnace, unquote, doesn't have to conflict with the idea that it may also be a place where there is desperate darkness, certainly enough to cause weeping and gnashing of teeth.
2: Yes. So, even if we attribute some degree of literal truth to these descriptions of hell, we can easily see how they could be true in a literal sense, although the differing descriptions are emphasizing different attributes that may appear in some parts of hell, if you will, than in other parts. And I think that this points to another truth about hell, which I think is also very disconcerting.
0: Which is?
2: Well, that just as in heaven, where there are varying degrees of reward, in hell, there will be varying degrees of punishment.
0: Ouch! What you're saying is that those people who experience hell will not necessarily experience hell in the same ways. As with any destination, each person will experience that location differently. Sadly, the same thing will be true of hell. Various writers have tried to depict his concept in their own way. In his Inferno, Dante depicted hell as nine concentric circles of torment located within the earth. Each level had its own level of torment, and people were assigned to their level based on the level of wickedness or depravity they had exhibited on earth.
2: Yes. So, the fact that the Bible uses different metaphors for hell to emphasize different phenomena that the people in hell will experience, well, that just kind of emphasizes the fact that God is a God of perfect justice and judgment. You know, it can be quite literally said to be true that everyone's punishment in hell will be individually suited to what they did on the earth. So, when we consider all of these various scriptures that describe hell and judgment in the Bible, when we look at the entirety of them, I think that we can frame a very coherent understanding of the doctrine of hell. In that understanding, the doctrine of hell includes the reason that it exists, God's response, the reality of the risk, and the result for everyone who rejects Christ as their Savior.
0: So, let's start with the reason. What is the reason God created hell?
2: Well, we heard the reason that God created hell in our opening scripture from Matthew 13. Jesus told his listeners that the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, Jesus tells us quite clearly Hell is the destination for anyone who persists in doing evil. And part of that evil includes, just as Jesus told Nicodemus, the evil of rejecting God's one and only Son. So rejecting Jesus is in fact a form of evil
0: in and of itself. Jesus also told another group of listeners that hell had originally been prepared for the devil and the fallen angels. But once Adam sinned, hell also became the destination for men who rejected God's offer of saving grace through Jesus. What you're saying is that the reason hell exists is because God had to have a place to send anyone who rebelled against His authority and holiness.
2: Exactly. The reason hell exists is because sin and rebellion against God exist. Now, God's response to the rebellion... God's response to the sin had to be to contain it. Otherwise, that sin and rebellion would have been free to pollute all of creation. Well, right now, sin has not been fully contained in our fallen creation, but there's going to come a time when evil will be fully contained in hell.
0: So that's the reason and God's response. What about the reality of risk?
2: So let's remember that Jesus is the biblical figure who gives us more information about hell than any other biblical figure. And Jesus gave us this set of horrible images of blazing furnaces, of fiery agony, of utter darkness and separation from God, to forcibly drive home the reality of the future of those who will rebel against God and never repent of their rebellion. You know, you've got to notice that Jesus did not describe hell as a place where people were just kind of removed from God's presence to live in an eternity in sort of a regretful contemplation of the things that they did wrong or the things that they missed. The language that Jesus used to describe hell was deliberately designed to invoke a fear and a horror and a terror of that fate. Jesus wanted people to be well aware of what awaited them if they continued in a rejection of him.
0: And that's why we do people a disservice if we try to tamper with the plain warning that Jesus was so careful to send. Jesus wanted everyone to know the stakes, the ultimate results, of their decisions. He described the result in as plain a fashion as possible, including how the people would react once they realized their plight. It's interesting that Jesus did not confine his warnings about hell to just the physical conditions in hell, whether those are literal or graphically metaphorical. Jesus also told us that people in hell would lose any sense they were consigned to hell unjustifiably.
2: Yes, the people in hell wail and gnash their teeth, not just because of their physical misery, but because once they're in hell, they know, undeniably, that they are in hell because of their own choices. Romans chapter 14 verse 11 quotes Isaiah chapter 45 verse 23, where God says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that God is sovereign, or as some people put it, that Jesus Christ is Lord. On earth, it's possible for people to deceive themselves and to suppress an awareness of God. But the possibility of doing that after death is completely stripped away.
0: So what you're saying is that people in hell are denied even the comfort of claiming that they were put there unfairly. Just as the rich man in Luke chapter 16 told Abraham that he was in agony because of the fire and wanted some relief. But he didn't claim it was a mistake that he was there, right?
2: Right. In fact, the rich man in the story of the rich man and Lazarus acknowledged that his brothers were also going to wind up in hell if they didn't change their behavior. And that's why the rich man begged Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his brothers. The rich man knew that he was only receiving the fate that he deserved, and apparently he also knew that his brothers were earning the same fate. This may be one of the saddest punctuation points in all of Scripture. Scripture doesn't tell us that the rich man was particularly evil, but it does tell us that the rich man, despite being aware of the Old Testament, ignored its warnings. Well, this is unbelievably sad. People who don't accept Christ as their Savior know that there is a God. It's just that they suppress the knowledge of that God.
0: Well, when we did our Truth in Genesis series, Dr. Jonathan Sarfati made the observation that diamonds are the hardest substance on earth, next to the human heart. That's so sad when you think about it.
2: It is sad. So, let's just summarize real quickly before we end. The reason that hell exists is because of rebellion. God's response to the rebellion was to create hell to house those rebellious angels. But when the human beings rebelled, it also became the same destination for anyone who, as Jesus put it, prefers the darkness to the light. Well, Jesus went on not just to talk about how you get into hell, but he wanted to graphically warn people about the reality of the risk that they were taking, and he did that by creating these horrific images that he associated with hell. Then Jesus went on to note that the final result of a continued rebellion against him and his father will be that eternity of misery. But again, that's the bad news. The good news is that there is no need whatsoever for anyone listening to this program to have any concerns at all about going to hell. All you have to do to avoid that terrible fate is to acknowledge that you are a sinner. We're all sinners. And then we have to turn to Jesus Christ as our Savior. We have to turn to Jesus because Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sins, everyone's sins. And all any of us has to do to be guaranteed an eternity in heaven and not in hell is to accept the work that Jesus Christ has already performed on our behalf.
0: Well, this sounds like a good time to go to God in prayer. Since all of us have sinned and fallen short of what God requires, let's listen to a prayer of corporate confession of our sins.
1: Prayer of Corporate Confession Father, perfect in justice, holy in all ways, we stand before you to declare that we know you are a great, powerful, and just God. Before time began marking the rise, decline, and coming renewal of creation, you established the laws to govern all seasons and creatures. Your laws are perfect because you are perfect. Lord, we acknowledge today that we have sinned and fallen short of your expectations. We know that we have done this of our own volition that our transgressions are not caused by anything that you have done or failed to do. As you forgive us, help us to freely forgive those who offend us when they ask for pardon. Let us embrace our brothers and sisters with repentant hearts as readily as you embrace us. We can only do so by knowing the gracious love that you brought to us when Christ came and died for us. He tore apart the veil between your people and you, sent the Spirit to refresh our souls, and so it is in his precious name that we ask for mercy, pardon, and a readiness to serve you. Amen. Amen.
0: We hope you'll be with us next time. And we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where... We're We're not famous, but but our our boss is. is.